0: I'm now to the reading of God's Word. Our scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 1, what's been called the, the foyer to the sanctuary of the Psalter. Uh, boys and girls, as you come into the church, you enter into the, the foyer out there before you come into the, uh, the gathering place of God's people. Uh, Psalm 1, together with Psalm 2, is, is something like that. It is the, uh, the entryway... Into the book of the Psalms, where we meet with God. It's true of both Psalm 1 and 2, which together introduce the Psalms, but our home visiting theme this year will be just Psalm 1. So we'll read that together this morning. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is far the reading of God's word. Our occasion when we sang before the service that man is blessed who fearing God from sin restrains his feet. Who are we singing of? Or who are you thinking of? Were you thinking of yourself? Are you the the blessed man who never walks in the way of sinners but only ever delights in God's law or like a a well-watered tree in God's garden only ever bearing good fruit? Is that you? You can see how, how all of us fall short of what's described in Psalm 1. The man who is blessed is, is not us, at least not naturally. But this psalm is about Christ, the blessed man in whom we seek our life. And Nick, that's what you've just said in, in professing your faith. I seek my life not in myself, but in Christ. And I despise and humble myself because of my sin and because of my failure to meet the standard of Psalm 1. But I seek my life in Christ. He is the blessed man of Psalm 1. And only when we properly understand that can we even begin to live in a way that looks anything like what's described here. And so before we look this morning at the word of Christ in which we delight and following Christ by forsaking the world, I want to look first at Christ the blessed man in whom we seek our life. And as we look at these three things together, my my prayer is that Psalm 1 will not only encourage us today in the gospel, but also throughout the year as the elders uh, seek to, to visit you and both encourage and also challenge you with the gospel of the blessed man of Psalm 1. Notice first how Christ is that blessed man. There's there's four reasons why I say this. Uh, First, as you look at the description of this blessed man in Psalm 1, what it it tells us about him very simply is that he does not sin. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, meaning he is not influenced by the wisdom of the world around us. He doesn't take his his cues from the godless society around him, nor does he stop and stand in the path or or the way of sinners, becoming one of them. That word for path or, or way, depending on what translation you're looking at, suggests a way of life that he will not adopt as his own. And he does not sit with the scornful or or the mockers who call good evil and evil good and ridicule God's people. But he is the exact opposite. His delight is in the word of God on which he meditates both day and night. He bears good fruit unlike the wicked of verse 1. But his way is the way of blessing and it is so constantly. And we see that as we notice that each of the verbs that are used of him in verse 1 in the Hebrew are in the perfect mood, emphasizing that he is never, never involved with anything that is tainted with evil, that he never listens to the counsel of the ungodly, he never stands in the path of sinners, he never sits in the seat of scoffers. Can you say that of yourself? Not one of us gathered here today are qualified to receive the blessing of verse 1, for we have listened to the counsel of the ungodly. We have let the world around us shape us into its mold. We have stood in the path of sinners, being influenced by those who help us not to love God more but less. And we have even sat with the mockers and the scornful with our coarse joking and our making light of sin and our poking fun at those who differ from us and our, our taking on the inflammatory rhetoric of the world around us. We have not perfectly resisted the way of sinners, not with our speech, young people not in our interactions with our peers, young people and adults not in our online conduct, As Augustine said many years ago, this psalm is to be understood of our Lord Jesus, who as you come to the New Testament and read through the Gospels, not only perfectly resists the way of sin, but does so so much that he becomes that object of scorn because he is so separate from the world around him. And yet is able still to find joy and delight in life because he would so frequently withdraw early in the morning or, or late at night to commune with his father and to meditate on his words. Such that he would be prepared to resist Satan's temptation in the wilderness by quoting scripture. Such that he would amaze the teachers of the law just 12 years old because of his knowledge of the word of God on which he had meditated both day and night. Only Christ meets the standard of verses 1 and 2. And only Christ, therefore, is like that tree planted in God's garden who brings forth fruit in season, his leaf never withering, and whatever he does, prospering. This psalm calls us, first of all, to see our sin and to look to the one who is righteous for us. That's part of why throughout this psalm, The man who is referred to is not referred to in the plural. It's not how blessed are they, how how blessed are those who do this, but he. So there's four reasons why I say this psalm is about Christ. This is the second reason why why I say it is because the, the very grammar of the text tells us that this is about a singular individual. And this singular individual is a man. The word is masculine. In fact, it's, it's using not the, the, the more general Hebrew word for, for man as in humanity in general, but the word that refers specifically to a male. A man who will come and is specifically spoken of here in language that is emphatically singular and emphatically masculine, referring to one who will come and meet this standard. And the reason I say to one who will come is because of what the Psalms are doing. The Psalter is the royal hymn book of God's people that has as its main theme the Davidic Covenant, which will be spoken of in in Psalm two and, and comes up in many of the, the, the seams throughout the book. Psalms are divided into five books, and you see it many of these important transition points throughout the book, psalms that are extolling God's promises in the Davidic Covenant. See that at the end of Book Two in Psalm 72. You see it at the end of, of Book Three, where, where God's people wonder in Psalm 89 whether he's forgotten his covenant promise to David. The theme of God's promise of a David to come is central throughout the Psalms. It is the great theme of Books One and Two, it is the great question mark of Books Three and Four, and is the great hope of book five where we find so many of those prophetic royal psalms like Psalm 110 or or Psalm 118 which we sang or Psalm 145 right towards the end which leads into that great crescendo of praise in 146 to 150 because God has and will answer all of the promises that he's made in his covenant with David. The theme and subject of this book, the, the book of the psalms is God's kingdom and God's promise to David. That's why Psalms 1 and 2 as a pair introduce this whole book with a reference in Psalm 2-2 to God's anointed and Psalm 2-7 with a reference to the Davidic covenant. And as these two Psalms together introduce the whole Psalter, the man of Psalm 2, God's anointed to whom the nations will be given and to whom the, the kings of the earth are called to pay homage to, That man of Psalm 2 is the same man of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is introducing us to the blessed man against whom the nations will rage, who will become an object of scorn, having resisted the path of sinners, but nevertheless will be raised up and exalted, and all who put their trust in him will be blessed. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are introducing us to the Davidic king to come. That's the third reason I say this psalm is about Christ. First of all, because only he meets this standard. A Second, because even the grammar of this passage is causing us to look for a singular male who will do this. And third, because Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together introduce us to the whole book, which, which teaches us to look for God's provision of a royal king to come who is spoken of in Psalm 2. And the last reason I say this psalm is about Christ because he himself says in Luke 24 that the psalms speak of him. And if that is true of the whole, it would be odd if the introductory psalm were the exception. Christ is the blessed man Of Psalm 1, you and I cannot meet the standard that it calls us to, but the good news of the gospel is that even though we cannot meet this standard and attain the blessings that are promised in verse 3 and verse 6, even though we cannot meet those blessings or meet meet that standard and attain those blessings, Psalm 2.12 says that there is a way to attain those blessings. There is a way to be blessed and that way is by putting our trust in him. Notice in 2:12 it says blessed are all those who put their trust in him. All of a sudden we've moved from the singular to the plural, to, to the righteous of Psalm 1-5 and Psalm 1-6, who all of a sudden are spoken of in the plural as a whole congregation who have put their trust in him who meets this standard for us by keeping every one of God's laws so that his righteousness might be imputed to us by faith alone. Again, Nick, that's what you've just confessed, that your righteousness is not in yourself, but in Christ, who alone meets this standard. And even though he alone meets it, the gospel of justification by faith alone allows you nevertheless to be counted righteous in him. Not a righteousness of your own, but his given to you on permanent loan so that his righteousness is now your standing and our standing before God. Because he never stood in the path of sinners, you can stand before God. That's the gospel of justification by faith alone, not of your works, but his, given to you by grace through faith. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This psalm is calling us to seek our lives not in ourselves, but in Christ, the blessed man of whom this psalm speaks. It's not calling us to to pull up our bootstraps and, and muster up our own righteousness as we can fast in the Belgian Confession, if our standing before God were based on our own ability to do this, then our poor consciences would be constantly tormented, lacking assurance if they did not rest on the active obedience of Christ whose righteousness is given to us. And so if that isn't your hope this morning but you are resting on your own ability to be a Psalm 1 man or to be a Psalm 1 woman, I'm here to tell you, you cannot do it. But Christ has done it for you. In fact, that's that's the whole point of the gospel. That's the whole story of the Bible. That's the whole story of the Psalms, which Luther rightly called a mini Bible, that Christ has done it for you and calls you to cling to him by faith and confess, Psalm 11, that he is the blessed man. That blessing is only found in him. You see, Psalm 11 is a confession of faith. It's not an assertion of accomplishment. That's what the whole Reformation was about, understanding that our first response to the gospel, our first response to Psalm 1 is to bless the Lord Jesus by faith and to join in this confession saying, blessed is the man. In Psalm 2.12, I want to find refuge in him because everyone who doesn't Everyone who scoffs at him or mocks him, everyone who is indifferent toward him, everyone who thinks that his righteousness is not sufficient but you must add to it yourself is in that category of Psalm 1-4 and Psalm 1-5 who will not stand on the day of judgment because the only way you can is in him. It's like Mephibosheth in Second Samuel chapter 9, he was invited to the king's table by grace and the last thing it tells us at the end of the chapter is that throughout his whole life he continued to be a cripple and a lame who could not stand. But the son of David picked him up and stood for him. That's what we see in Psalm 1. That you cannot stand on your own. The only way you can is in him. And so this psalm is inviting all of you. It's inviting all of us to do that by faith. In fact, it's commanding us to do that by faith. It will tell us in Psalm 212, in the imperative, kiss the son and put your trust in him. So that's the primary application of Psalm 1, not to self-righteously think that you have done this or that you can do this, nor to wallow in the fact that you can't, but to look to the one who has, and by faith to be joined to that congregation of the righteous who were found in him. He alone is the righteous one, but those in verses 5 and 6 are covered in his righteousness, joined to him by faith and filled with his spirit so that more and more we might become like him. And so what we're trying to do is is get the order right and not moralizing this psalm and making it all about our ability to do this, but also to not rob this psalm of its application to us, but to see how Christ is the singular fulfillment of it and yet joined to him by faith, we become like him with the spirit of the blessed man in us, with the spirit of the Psalm 1 man in us, what is true of him should increasingly be true of us so that we too would delight in his word and would seek to follow him on the way of the righteous. So look at me next at the word of Christ in which we delight as we're joined to him what is true of him in verse 2 should be true of us that we delight in god's word meditating on it day and night and that we find it a joy there is this theme of happiness uh, running through the psalm where even that word for blessed some translations render happy he is he is content he is blessed he's happy and he delights in god's word And Calvin says this teaches us that mere servile obedience is not acceptable to God. Merely reading the word and and sort of checking the box is not acceptable to God. But Calvin says only those are worthy to be called students of his word who come to it with a cheerful mind and are so delighted with it that they count nothing more desirable or delicious than to make progress therein like that Calvin uses the word delicious because it reminds us of Psalm 119, which we sang that, that God's word is sweeter than honey. He understands Psalm 1-2 to be calling us to delight in God's word and to find it delicious, to find it satisfying, to find it better than anything else. And this is, is part of the wisdom of something like uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism question answer 1 where it says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The Westminster assembly understood that the glory that is given to God in our worship and devotion to his word is not separate from our enjoyment of it, but we glorify him by enjoying those things. We delight in the law of the Lord. I should comment though on that word law in verse 2, the word is Torah, which means instruction and is therefore broader than just the the five books of Moses that we often think of when we think of the word law or Torah, but at the same time, it it does have that connotation making us think of the five books of Moses. Moses. Which is interesting because the shaping of the Psalter into five books actually makes it so that the Psalms are being presented to us in the shape of the Torah. So that this introductory Psalm, which remember is is introducing the rest of the Psalms to us as it calls us to meditate on the Torah, is fundamentally calling us to meditate on the rest of these five books which are God's instruction to us. There is a Torah shape to the psalm, so that this call to delight in the Torah is actually a call to delight in what Psalm 1 is introducing in the five books of the Psalter. The way that we meditate on the Torah is by reading, praying, and singing the Psalms which Psalm 1 introduces. That word meditate goes beyond just reading, but the Hebrew has the idea of, of muttering out loud or even singing so that what we're being summoned to in Psalm 1 verse 2 is not only to internalize the psalms in the rest of this book, but then to give verbal expression to them joyfully and even with song. One linguist says this word is often used to express, this word for, for meditation is often used to express the feelings of the human soul and so it is a deep internalized reflection that is then given verbal expression what psalm 1 verse 2 is calling us to is to take the word of god and especially the psalms and internalize them by verbal expression through song and through prayer to do what Colossians 3 says and take the word of Christ which is the Psalms and let them so dwell in you richly by teaching and admonishing one another through them. This is a call to make use of the Psalms in corporate song and in personal prayer and in family worship to meditate on them day and night making them our own by, by reading and praying and singing them thoughtfully and joyfully. That word for meditation gets it at both of those. The, the thoughtfulness of our meditation on it and yet also doing it in such a way that we are delighted in it. The thoughtful meditation and word-centered nature of this, I think, pushes against uh, much of, of modern worship and, and yet the um, call to, to delight is uh, corrective to many of us to, to see the psalms that we sing as a joy. To find delight In singing the word of Christ, which as we do is one of the means that God uses, according to this psalm, to make us well-watered trees like Christ, who is the psalm one man. We are made like him as we allow him, the chief song leader of the church, to lead us in psalm through the word that he inspired, through the psalms that he inspired, that he sang throughout his life. We become like him as we allow him to lead us in praying and singing those psalms. And part of what verse 3 is suggesting in that garden imagery that's, that's reflected there is it, is it calls our attention to Eden, to, to the garden, the place where those, those rivers uh, so satisfy the trees that they give fruit in every season. Part of what verse three is is suggesting is it calls our attention there back to Eden where God's presence dwelt is that in meditating on the word of Christ, the presence of God is mediated to us so that by doing what verse two says, we are communing with God. This Psalm is a call to delight in the Word of God and especially the Psalms that Psalm 1 introduce and see how in meditating on them and making them our own, we are fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus who inspired them. That are made to bear fruit, verse 3, and to prosper. A Prosperity that is spiritual and cross-shaped, as we see in the life of Jesus, even as we see in the Psalms, like Psalm 2. But a prosperity that is, nevertheless, real prosperity. Real blessing. Kind of blessing, we read in the Beatitudes, where there is suffering to be sure, but there is also blessing, even in the midst of it, and blessing to come. This is what, what Psalm 1 is calling us to, to delight In the word of Christ, to delight in the psalms that he gives us. And in so doing, to to fellowship with him, to have uh, the presence of God mediated to us through spiritual communion, and then to prosper as a result. Not in the way that the TV preachers promise prosperity, but a way of real spiritual blessing. This is what Psalm 1 is inviting us to. And in doing this, in looking to Christ, the blessed man by faith, and singing his songs after him, we're then equipped to follow him in forsaking the world as we see throughout this psalm. I just want to make a few comments on this last point on forsaking, Christ, or forsaking uh, the world and following Christ. Um, this, this psalm is, is really calling us to resist the mold that the world wants to squeeze us in. Uh, One pastor called uh, this the the Romans 12.2 of the Old Testament. Remember Romans 12, in fact, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit this afternoon. It calls us not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's the same thing that Psalm 1 is calling us to. And that mind renewal that Paul will speak of in Romans 12 happens through the word. Here, it happens through the Psalms which God uses to help us not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to resist the counsel of ungodly friends, to resist ungodly influences, to resist the spirit of the age to not stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but the word of God, and especially the Psalms, help us to have our our feelings and our worldview shaped so that we are not the mockers who, who take on the rage of the world around us, but are reminded over and over in the Psalms, even in this one, of a judgment that is coming that allows us to press on in faithfulness, in trusting our cause to God in the same way that Romans 12 will call us to. Leave vengeance to me, says the Lord, and to believe that he knows the way of the righteous and the way of the ungodly will perish. It is the Psalms that carry us even when surrounded by an ungodly world who mocks us. It is the psalms that point us to the judgment to come. It is the psalms that remind us that God knows the way of the righteous and that give us joy even now in the midst of a broken world. All of these psalms or these themes are introduced to us in Psalm 1 where even for the lonely man of Psalm 1 who dwells in the city of scorners, singing the songs of Zion is a source of, of great delight. The psalm teaches us on how we can, can even have joy when surrounded by an ungodly culture. How we can have joy even when we are mocked and derided by meditating on the word of Christ which strengthens us and Ephesians 5.18 fills us with the Spirit. So we might bear fruit. We do this Day and night, reading, singing, and praying God's word. We do this when we gather corporately, uh, shunning the counsel of the wicked, which, which deforms us, but gathering with the congregation of the righteous, which forms us. And as we gather, we devote ourselves to reading, singing, and praying God's word, to singing the word of Christ, to preaching the word of Christ, to holding him up as the blessed man. By singing of that from the Psalms, we actually renew our commitment to him. That's part of what we're doing as we meditate on the five books of the Psalms. In singing them, we are actively committing ourselves to following the God-approved way of life that is described in Psalm 1. By singing them, we are confessing our faith, even as Nick just did, confessing faith in the blessed man who is the subject of the whole Psalter, delighting in his word, and doing so in the context of the gathered people of God so that as we confess our faith together, we might be stirred up to hold fast our confession of faith without wavering. That's what we're doing as we gather together and sing the Psalms. So what we're doing is we gather together in a moment around the table. We're confessing that we despise and humble ourselves because of our sin, that we are not the Psalm 1 man, but we seek our life in Christ who is that we love him and delight in his word, sung, preached, and eaten, to to so shape and transform us after his image that we might follow him along the way with the congregation of the righteous in forsaking the world and finding our delight in him. This psalm teaches how to follow Christ, the blessed man, in forsaking the way of the world and delighting in God. As one pastor put it, the the psalms open in Psalm 1 with an invitation to walk on the faithful way that leads to life and will then show us both how to walk in this way and with whom we walk. We walk in faith with the people of God, those of verse 5. We walk in hope in the sight of a watching world, those of verse 1. And we walk with our hearts open before the face of a gracious God. We walk in this way with Jesus himself for whom these psalms are his heart song and like him, we read and sing and pray the psalms along the way trusting that God will use them to conform us to his image. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this psalm where you call us to delight in your word and especially in the book of the psalms to equip us even as we are surrounded by an ungodly culture to walk in the way that Christ first walked. Lord, we confess that we cannot do this ourselves but we thank you that Christ first has and that united to him, we too can walk in this way nourished by his Word. We pray for Nick and for all of us as we seek to do this that you would strengthen us for service through it. We pray that you would do that not only through the Psalms that we read, pray, and sing, and through the Christ who is revealed so beautifully in them. But we pray that you would also nourish us and strengthen us for service through the bread and the cup of which we partake in a moment, confessing that we are not the blessed man of Psalm 1, but that we seek our life in him nourishes and refreshes our souls for eternal life and for uh, for service to him and to you. It does so both in the book of the Psalms and in the bread of the cup we pray in Jesus' name.